Man, dude, we've been in this series for uh, this, this current series called Caught Up in the Book of First Thessalonians and Scripture uh, for the past, I, I guess, 10 weeks now. Um, and really, as we've seen, it, it's about hope. It's about hope in Christ. Uh, hope in Christ, and uh, Paul has um, encouraged them to, to street-level obedience because of that hope. Um, hope isn't something that, you know, in the world, uh, hope is more like uh, wishful thinking. Um, you can't really quite put your finger on, like, what you're hoping for when you say, man, I hope this happens, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, but because of Jesus and, and the cross and the resurrection, our, our hope is grounded in reality. It's solid. We know things. We know things uh, because of uh, what Jesus has done. And, and this hope drives us towards uh, street-level obedience, to street-level uh, in, in terms of how we live our lives day to day. And Paul has been encouraging them in that. Man, we've learned uh, how faith should produce work. Uh, several weeks ago, our faith should produce work. Our love should prompt labor. Our hope should inspire endurance. We learned that. We learned how we're called to be living more and more to please God and not more and more to please the world or to please people. Man, we should be living more and more to please God. And uh, we saw what that looked like in living more and more to please God. Uh, it means growing and trending, trending in sexual purity. Man, that doesn't mean we can never have sex, right? That's not what that means. It means that uh, we can engage in this beautiful creation of sex that God created, uh, but within his boundaries that he's created because uh, the things that he uh, aligns in his creation, it frees us. It, uh, and it's good things. It becomes a blessing when we, when we obey God and, and his design for creation. We learned about trending in love for one another trending in love for one another here in the church and also outside of the church, loving one another, uh, trending and living a quiet life. We learned about what that means, uh, living a quiet life and minding our own business, literally. Uh, what that means, minding your own business and getting to work on the things God has put right in front of us, right where we are. Paul, he then moved uh, to the topic of Jesus' return, like heady stuff. Heady stuff. He moved to the topic of Jesus' return. Giving detail was, uh, that detail was for important and practical purposes. And we learned about, one week, we learned about how Jesus is going to come, like how it's going to come, how he's going to come back. Uh, but we learned about the implications of that on our response in grief. In, our, in grief in our lives. And then the week later, uh, we learned about when Jesus is going to re re return. So not how, but when. We learned about when he's going to return, and we don't know. Paul didn't know. Nobody knows. Jesus doesn't even know when he's going to get the green light from the Father. But we learned that it has implications on how we should live right now. Not knowing when he's going to return, but we know that he will. And it has implications on how we live our lives right now, that we should be alert, vigilant, focused on wearing the armor of faith, wearing the armor of love, wearing the armor of hope, wearing the armor of hope as we wait for Jesus' return. And now today uh, and next week, so these last two weeks of this series, today and next week are these final messages in this book. Man, this is it. This is the end game. This is the end game. You guys got that? We're in the end game now. 
We are in the end game. You know, how Paul opens letters is super significant, how he opens letters. And then how he ends letters is super significant. How he ends a letter, everything in between is super significant. Man, it's all super significant. But man, when you look at how, how he opens letters, it's really significant how he does that. And then how he ends a letter it's significant how he ends a letter. And that's where we are now. This week and next week, we're in the end game now. And this, we're going to see how he ends this letter. You know, when I, when I look at uh, my wife and, and I look at my family and uh, I look at my daughters, uh, I, I know in my heart um, that this is what it's all about. Do you guys get that sense? If you have kids, you have a wife, you have daughters, whatever it is. I know in my heart that this is what it's all about. You know, when I look at you guys, when I look at this church, and I look at the relationships happening, and I look at the love happening, when I look at you guys, and I look at this church, I know in my heart that this is what it's all about. I know that this is what it's all about. People. Authentic relationships. Authentic relationships. You know, when I, when I devote myself personally to God, like whether in Bible study or a book or, or a prayer, I, mean, I know that this is what it's all about. I know these are end game things. These are end game things. This is what it's all about. People and relationships and devotion to the Lord. And yet... I find myself consistently distracted. Consistently distracted by things of the world that take me away from these things. That take me away from these end game things. These critical things about living life and what we're created for and, and the purpose of our lives. I know in my heart how these things matter, but I don't always act like it. You know, just this morning, like Sunday mornings are kind of like crazy. I know I've got to preach, you know, most of the time. I've got to preach and I'll help out with stuff, set up, whatever it is. And there's always a little bit of tension in me. And then I've got these like daughters, you know, that are just crazy. You know, boom, 6.30 in the morning, it, like hell breaks loose in the house. And I'm just like, man, I got to preach. Like, I've got to be focused. I've got to, like, do these things. And I'm just all frazzled, and I find myself saying things I wish I didn't. I find myself thinking things that I wish I didn't. You know, and then there's my beautiful wife who wakes up late. <laughs> I'm like, we got to go. I find myself welling up, getting angry, getting mad, you know. I find myself forsaking love, forsaking the relationships just for that moment. Now, some of us would say, that's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. We've got to stop just pushing things off and saying that it's, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. In those moments, in the early mornings, it's a big deal how I handle them. You know, honestly, God, like, he could actually, like, don't get me wrong here, but God, he cares that I'm preaching, and he cares that we're here. He wants us to be here. He wants the word to go out. But man, he doesn't really care that much if it's at the expense of relationships. 
at the expense of how I treat my wife and, and my kids. You know, if I'm praying, if I'm praying and I want some quiet time in my room, and this has happened so many times, if I'm praying or reading scripture and my personal devotion, I want some quiet time, and then my kids just start barging into the room, and they totally ruin my, my, my flow, my rhythm, you know, and I get mad, and I yell, and I push them out of the room, God doesn't care about the prayer. He does not care about the prayer. He would rather me, you know what, stop the prayer. Stop being all religious. And just receive your kids and invest in them in this moment. He doesn't care about prayer if, I'm, if it's at the expense of these relationships. Because guys, we get so religious. We're just all about religion and doing these things and... No, God hates religion. Pursuing God and worshiping God, we can do no greater than through relationships. And pursuing relationships and loving people where we are, whether it's our wife or our kids, other people out there. If we're not doing that, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing? It does not matter. It doesn't matter. And that's kind of what we're going to see today. Man, Paul, these end game things, it's about relationships, people, and devotion to him, devotion to the Lord, but not at the expense of relationships and people in our lives. You know, after taking them up in the clouds in Jesus' return these final two weeks, right? That was like some heady stuff. Well, after now uh, taking them in the clouds, Paul's now bringing them down to earth. He's bringing them down to earth into these relationships and devotion. So let's, let's just read the text and we'll read it in full. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. We'll read it in full and then we're going to break it down like verse by verse. It says this. These are end game things. Okay? This is how he ends the letter. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Man, I was just talking to uh, Jeremy back here, you know, and Jeremy was like, you know, this scripture, it's like, it's like a Twitter storm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, on Twitter, like people just go on like huge Twitter rants and they just start posting like, you know, inappropriate stuff and they're complaining about stuff. Well, man, this, if there's a Twitter storm, it's this. Like Paul just kind of like rips out just like all these things that seem not really connected to one another, but all these like commands and do's and do nots. Um, and they're actually quite encouraging, like these end game things. And, and they could really easily be these tweets 
You know, Paul, Paul, his instruction here is so practical. It meets us right where we are, street level. It's so practical that most of us, if not all of us, see it and we think, oh, that's simple. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Check, 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 check. Done, do it, do it, do it. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But guys, Paul is not, and, and, and also, we, we also might look at this and uh, we might look at it and say, oh, well, you know what, like, my friend's not doing that, you know, or my spouse isn't doing that. Guys, Scripture is for you. It's not for the person next to you. We shouldn't look at Scripture and think, okay, I'm good here, but you know what, like, my, my wife isn't good here, so, you know, she needs to learn. No, when we read the Bible, when we read Scripture, it's for you and you alone, it's for you to judge yourself on, not to judge others on. It's for you and you alone. So Paul, he's not giving this checklist for, for us to just place on somebody else. He's giving this checklist for you. He's giving it for you. And he isn't giving this checklist of things to do to, to be right with God. That's not why you know, whenever Paul writes in his letters about these to-do lists, it's not so we can be right with God. What he's saying is this is the outpouring of a heart that's saved by the cross of Christ. This is the outpouring of a heart that is saved by the cross of Christ. This is what a heart should be growing in and trending in and looking like when it has experienced the grace of God on the cross. Paul reminds them that despite Jesus' future return, they have lives to live and a mission to pursue. Lives to live and a mission to pursue. Jesus is returning. Cool. Yeah, great. Awesome. Well, don't forget, right here, right now, you've got a life to live and a mission to pursue. He doesn't exhort them to make wise investments in the stock market, right? I know that didn't exist back then, but... He doesn't exhort them to, you know, to 401ks or he doesn't exhort them to setting goals and achieving them. Those are, those are good things. You know, nothing wrong with those things. Those are good things. He doesn't address worship styles. He doesn't address building architecture. He doesn't address dress codes. He doesn't address those things. He gets right to the heart right to the heart of it, to these end game things. This is what it's all about. Relationships, how we relate with people, and devotion to the Lord. How much do we love God? And how much do we love people? How much do we love each other? And it's actually how much we love God will determine how much we love people. Man, if we don't love God, we're not going to love people. If we have a growing love for God, we will have a growing love for people, for each other, and for people outside of the church. What's your end game? I want to ask you that. What's your end game? What are you living for? Man, what are your goals? Are these your goals? These are good goals. These are goals that are often ignored. People don't think about these things. People think about... They, what they think are greater things. Achievements, accomplishments. No, it doesn't matter. All those things are good, you know. But it's all about relationships. 
and devotion to the Lord. What's your end game? What's the outcome of your daily life that you're fighting tooth and nail for? What are you fighting for in your life? So the, the first thing here that, that Paul brings us to, he brings us to this relationship, really, what it is. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul begins with this relationship between a pastor and his people, and he's basically saying, y'all better respect me. <laughs> Man, I, I get an opportunity to tell you guys, like, Esteem me, honor me, respect me, right? I'm just kidding. But I read that, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. This might be one of my only opportunities to be like, you know. <laughs> I'm playing though. Guys, in a world of increasing anarchy, in a world of increasing anarchy and rejection of authority, you guys see rejection of authority everywhere? I do. I see it everywhere. I see it at work. I see it re rejecting the, the authority of the police, uh, the authority of the government. In a world where it's just increasing anarchy and rejection of authority, we're called to respect, esteem, and love leaders. And in this particular case, our pastors. I feel so uncomfortable saying that because it's like, <laughs> our pastors. Under the watchful eye of God, pastors lead, they keep watch over, and they joyfully care for the church. They should be doing that. They should be joyfully caring for the church. So out of obedience to God, the people follow, respect, and honor the leadership of their pastor. And look at those words, because of their work. That's key right there. Because of their work. Because of their work, leaders are recognized not by their title, not by their title, but by their work, by their work, by their service. They don't deserve esteem because of their title or their personality, but because of their labor on behalf of God's people, on behalf of God's people. Man, how much do we value a title? How much do we value a title? But maybe that leader just isn't working, isn't laboring in love. Man, a pastor needs to be laboring in love for their people. It's not about a title, but it's about the service that they give. Man, pastors should be accessible, accessible, approachable. Pastors should be accessible and approachable. Jesus was the ultimate shepherd. Pastors are shepherds over God's people. I am a shepherd over God's people. Jesus was the ultimate shepherd. So really, you guys should be following me, following Jesus. <laughs> you should be following me, following Jesus. You should be following Jesus in your own personal life, but when it comes to this church, you should be following me, following Jesus. If I'm not following Jesus, there's a problem. There's a big problem. There's a problem. A pastor's labor, service, and work should be born out of his love for his people, just like a shepherd for his sheep. His sheep. His work and his service and his labor should be born out of his love for his people. 
But even when a pastor messes up, even when a pastor messes up, we should respect them. We should respect them and we should honor them. We shouldn't uh, affirm their mistakes. We shouldn't affirm their mistakes or their sin, but we must respect, esteem, and love and honor them as somebody who bears the image of God on them. Just because a pastor messes up, it doesn't mean the image of God is gone. He still bears the image of God upon them. So the people, the people should be receiving admonishment. And that word admonish, it means to, to confronting a sinful or a warning uh, against a bad behavior. That's probably the most difficult part of being a pastor is calling people out. <laughs> That's the most difficult part about it. But we, we should be receiving that with humility, admonishment. And it's not like a pastor doesn't have any authority over him. Again, God is his authority, but he also has accountability around him. I have other men around me. I have Charles, you know Charles. Man, I'm accountable to him. He keeps me straight. I have other men in my life who keep me straight, who I share things and, and talk about things like that. But man, when a pastor messes up, we should respect, still respect, esteem, love, and honor them. The relationship between a pastor and his people can kill a church. Churches are, are dying all the time. Not for anything but the relationship between a pastor and his people. It's a tumultuous relationship. It's a tumultuous relationship. Or the relationship between a pastor and his people can bring great joy, unity, and peace to the church. Great prosperity to the church. Great joy, great peace, and great unity to the church. Man, I'm grateful that um, we have incredible unity in this church. I sense that we have great joy and we have great love. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Man, what's this next tweet that he says here? Paul says, and we urge you, brothers. So there's urgency there's urgency here. These are end game things. How are we going to reach people outside of this church if we're not doing these things? How are we going to reach people outside of this church or even inside the church? Man, if, if there's a tumultuous relationship between a pastor and his people, what's the next thing? And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. People are vastly different, are they not? People are vastly different. A church is a complicated entity. <laughs> a complicated entity with very different people. Everyone needs ministry. This is ministry. This is ministry, what he's talking about. Admonish the idol. Correct the idol. Warn the idol. Just earlier in this book, we learned that there were people, because they, they, they knew that Jesus was going to be returning, but they thought he was returning, and it was right around the corner, and it was imminent, and it was soon, they were just quitting their jobs. They were quitting their jobs, and they, they became lazy. They stopped doing anything, and they started mooching off the people in the church. Man, they should be warned about this. They should be corrected about this. And that's not a bad thing, the correction. That's out of love. That's out of love. We live in a culture where laziness, it's not rewarded, right? Your laziness is not really ever rewarded, but it's not challenged either. It's not challenged either. And it says encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those people grieving. 
You know, we learned earlier in this book that people were grieving over the loss of their loved ones. People were grieving. This is ministry. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. He says, help the weak. People were succumbing to temptations and suffering from immorality. Don't shun them. Don't shun them. Don't judge them. Bring them along. Encourage them. Help them. Help the weak. How we handle all of these people varies, but we're called to be patient with them all. Not impatient. We're called to be graceful and patient with all these different people and to bring them along and not leave them behind. Not leave them behind. In a culture of survival of the fittest, this is a culture of survival of the fittest, the faint-hearted and the weak are left behind. Not in the church. Not in the church. That's not what happens in a church. And when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus, you want to know what God is like? The disciples said, show us the Father. Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, well, you've seen the Father. You've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what they saw was Jesus walking with the faint-hearted, walking with the weak, and helping them and encouraging them, building them up, showing grace and mercy. We saw Jesus doing those things, and he has ultimately done those things for us. Man, because in our, in our sin, we are weak. We are faint-hearted. And Jesus has ultimately helped us on the cross by dying for us. What else does he say? He says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but welcomes, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. That's a challenging one. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. We live in a world that revolves around vengeance. We live in a world that revolves around revenge. If you do wrong to me, I'm going to do wrong to you. And not only that, I'm probably going to double the wrong. I'm going to make you hurt. I'm going to make you experience more pain than the pain that you caused me. That's the world we live in. That's the world that we live in, and it's glorified in entertainment. We see it everywhere, in movies and everywhere. We see revenge everywhere. Guys, this is unacceptable in God's eyes. This is completely unacceptable in God's eyes. In interpersonal relationships, there's no justification for anything, anything other than seeking to do good for one another. There's no justification in interpersonal relationships for anything but seeking good to do, to do good to one another. And to everyone, it says. It's not just about being nice when it comes to you, when you get that opportunity, you know. Oh, here's an opportunity for me to do something good. Sometimes something comes to you and you can act on it, right? That happens a lot. It's not just that. What does the scripture say? It says, always seek. Always seek to do good. Go out of your way. Pay attention. It doesn't matter if nobody's doing good to you. You seek opportunities to do good to others. Unconditionally. It does not matter. Unconditionally, are you seeking ways to do good to others? To do to one another's? Unconditionally. Jesus exemplified this. 
Jesus was demonized. He was demonized, he was criticized, he was abused, he was crucified. He did nothing but good. And he never once returned it with evil. And he died on the cross for us. He endured the cross for us. What does Paul say again next? He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Man, as we're seeking to do good to one another, man, we should be rejoicing in that. We should be rejoicing in what God is doing. You know, just just recently, uh, where where are the light bulbs? You know, we're... uh, we always try and seek uh, opportunities to bless our meeting location, the Central Bucks Senior Center. I mean, it doesn't matter how small it is. At one time, we, we bought them napkin dispensers. They're back there on the tables. And uh, just the other day, or last week, I, I noticed that they have a lot of light bulbs out, but these light bulbs are expensive, and they, they couldn't really afford them. So that's an opportunity to seek. Man, well, we'll just buy you the light bulbs, Right? That's something that we can do as a church to bless the senior center here. But man, what are ways that you can bless others in your lives and interpersonal relationships? And then beyond that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Everybody wants to know what God's will is. And we always think that God's will is some big, huge, awesome, flashy thing. No, it's not. God's will is actually not usually big and flashy and super exciting. This is God's will. This simple thing of giving thanks and gratitude. It's amazing that this is one of them. It's simple gratitude and thankfulness. That is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We can rejoice always because our joy isn't based on circumstances. Our joy isn't based on circumstances, but in God. Circumstances change. God doesn't. God does not change. Joy is never generated from the outside in. We never get joy from things on the outside, although we try all the time. I still do, trust me. I still try and find joy in things. Now, it's okay to enjoy things and have hobbies and stuff like that. It's okay to do those things. But ultimate joy, ultimate joy, where are we getting that? Because we can't get it from the outside in. Joy comes from the inside out. It comes from the inside out. It comes from the heart through God's spirit in us, through Jesus. Gratitude should drive us toward giving thanks in all circumstances. And it says, in all circumstances. It doesn't say for circumstances. It doesn't say for circumstances. It says, in all circumstances. So this actually speaks more about our perspective toward life than our attitude toward our circumstances. So to to obey this, we must keep the big picture in view. We've got to keep the big picture in view. And we see Jesus, he had this wide, big picture view of what was going on. He had this sweeping view as he went to the cross. When it says in Hebrews 12 too, Jesus, who for the joy, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. It wasn't joyful for Jesus to be crucified. <laughs> 
It wasn't joyful for Jesus to be crucified, but it was joyful for him to save the world. He knew what he was doing. That's why it says that. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It was joyful for him to redeem the world, to save the world. So we must see how God's providence works. We've got to have this big picture view, just like Jesus did. No detail, good or bad, is irrelevant or significant. God is using all things for our good in Christ Jesus. No matter how bad it is. No matter if a baby cries. He's using that for all things. For good. For their parents. (laughs) This is why Job... This is why Job, despite his suffering, despite his suffering, he could say this. Despite his suffering, Job could say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the Lord. Job had significant joy because of his salvation with God. Whatever happens, God can give, God can take away. Blessed be God. And yet it is so difficult to remember this, isn't it? It's so difficult to remember this. Gratitude and thankfulness often lose out to entitlement. We convince ourselves that we're entitled to things. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. And we forget about gratitude and thankfulness. We have much to be grateful for. Gratitude should drive us towards prayer and devotion to the Lord. Like it says in the text. Gratitude should drive us towards prayer and devotion to the Lord. That's an end game thing. Our devotion to the Lord. Christians are to pray continually, nonstop. If we're following Jesus, we should be praying continually, nonstop. Now, we can't bow our heads nonstop, right? We can't fold our hands nonstop. We can't be on our knees nonstop. Right? Those are really just customs of prayer. Those things actually don't matter that much, if at all. What he's saying, what, what he's talking about continually is just conversation with God. This flowing, free, uh, just this like uh, devotion to the Lord. Uh, it, it's just continual. This simple communication with God that we can live each minute of the day in constant flowing conversation with God. It doesn't matter if you get on your knees or not. It doesn't matter if you fold your hands or not. It doesn't matter the customs. The question is, is there this dialogue with God in your life continually, moment to moment in your day? Gratitude and thankfulness should drive us towards this devotion to the Lord. We saw that in Jesus' life in the Gospels. Continual devotion to the Lord, to his Father. And then finally, what does he say here? He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Man, do not quench the spirit. Man, when he uses that, that word quench, it kind of brings this like, idea of like fire. The Holy Spirit is like this fire, this, this vitality, this life that comes from God. The Holy Spirit is like this fire, and we can quench this fire of the Spirit by our doubt, by our indifference to God, 
indifference to people, how we treat people, how we relate with one another, we can quench the Spirit. We quench the Spirit when we reject God, when we reject people. It's the Spirit that gives us the ability to live this way. This whole thing, all this Scripture, the Spirit is what gives us the ability to live this way. So when we quench the Spirit, it suppresses the power that we have. It suppresses the power that we have. And then it says, do not despise prophecies. Man, what the heck is Paul talking about that? God speaks to people today. He speaks to people through his word. It is his word that guides us. It enlivens us. It encourages us. It pushes and moves us forward. And we should not despise prophecies that we see in Scripture. Sometimes God really speaks to people personally. And we shouldn't despise when somebody says something like, you know, God told me this. We shouldn't despise that. But we should do what he says, what the Scripture says. We should test it. We should test everything. Is it consistent with Scripture? Is it consistent with God's Word? There's a lot of things that we can say that God told me to do, and you can do it, that's okay. But if we're forcing somebody to do it, but it's not in Scripture, then we shouldn't be forcing it upon somebody else. We've got to test these things. This is so important. This is an end game thing because there's a lot of things that people are saying in the world and around us. And it can take us away from our devotion to the Lord if we're not testing these things. It can take us away. It can quench the spirit. It can take us away from our relationship with God. So we need this discernment. Guys, we can't do these things in our own strength. This is where I want to close. I know we look at these lists. We love lists. I know some of you, my, my wife loves lists. She loves checklists. And that's fine. We cannot treat God's word a list like this. We can't treat it as if we can do this in our own strength. These are things that are beyond us. We can't do these in our own, our own strength. Sin makes us self-centered. Self-centeredness takes us away from doing these things. Self-centeredness. But we can through Jesus Christ. We can through the power of the cross. We can when our hope and our identity are in Christ. We can do these things when our hope and our identity are in Christ. Jesus Christ, he died for the forgiveness of our sins and he was buried and he rose again. When Jesus is our salvation, when Jesus is our salvation, the gospel frees me to need less and to love more. To need less and to love more. To talk less and to listen more. To submit to godly leadership. When I, when I perceive that my needs are high, I'm more self-centered and I love less and I don't do these things. These are all other-centered things. This is relational stuff. This is relationships. When I'm self-centered, I don't do these things. I don't do these things. But when I perceive my needs are met by God through Jesus Christ, I'm other-centered and it frees me to love more to do these things. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to do these things. The stakes are high. 
The stakes are high. These are end game things. This is how Paul is ending this letter. The stakes are high in our marriages, in our relationships. The stakes are high in this church. And we're not the only church. The stakes are high in churches everywhere. The stakes are high. This is the end game. It's faith. It's love. It's hope. It's relationships. How we relate to people. And it's devotion to the Lord.